Great to see everybody here this morning. Appreciate you being in the house of God today. I want to give you an encouragement here. I, uh, I've said this before in this pulpit many times. Thank you so much. Great special there. Good, good choir special too. That uh, most of this world is not like America in that uh, most of this world has, has a knowledge of multiple languages. Um, there has been an, an, uh, an ongoing joke. I say this a lot when I travel. That if you know three languages, you're trilingual. If you know two languages, you're bilingual, and if you know one language, you are an American. Um, There's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. And I'm one of those blessed folk that got to grow up bilingual world, bicultural world. Of course, sign language was my native language, and English is my second language, which is why I struggle with it so much and butcher it. But one of the things I've I've always laughed about in the English language is there's certain words that that just, that just, they, they still boggle my mind. Last fall, I spoke on one of those words, and that was the word present, P-R-E-S-E-N-T, and we gave you three points to the outline, and every one was present. It was present. You can be present, meaning be here. You can present yourself, and then you can give a present, and we talked about being present for the Lord, presenting yourself to the Lord, and then giving the Lord presence with your life and service and being a blessing to Him as He leads us and guides us, right? But I think I may have found an even more odd English word because this word actually has uh, two main definitions and one refers to it in the past tense and one talks about it in the future tense. So it's one thing to to have a word be multiple meaning words and and especially as someone that is fluent in sign language, I laugh sometimes when I have to try to explain to hearing people that, that sometimes an English word itself will have six or seven different signs because the American Sign Language got it right. They're like, that word means so many different things. We're going to assign a sign to each meaning of that word instead of just having one word mean all those different definitions. But that word is the word before. B-E-F-O-R-E. And with the word set today, the theme for this year, I want to talk about that thought today of set before. Set before. So having said that today... Let me give you the two signs for the words before. And before I do that, let me define it for you, all right? Before, B-E-F-O-R-E, a very common English word we use, is defined as, number one, during the period of time preceding a particular event or time. During the, during the, the period of time that precedes. So that is past tense vernacular. That is past tense uh, concept, if you will. All right? The second definition is this. In front of someone or something. And let's, let's just say it like this. We all can relate to this, okay? Before I met my wife, right? We understand that. That means the life before I met her. Before I got married. Before I became a father. Before I got saved, right? Then we say this about people sometimes. Wow, that young man has his whole life before him. His whole life before him. So wait a minute. So at one instance, you're talking about something before an event. And the other instance, you're talking about what's going to come after that particular event, right? So here's the signs for it. Here's the sign language for it. This is the past tense sign for before. This is what you do before. That makes sense. It's going backwards, right? Before. Here's the second definition of sign. Before. It's what's in front of you, right? Before. So you have before and before. Now, I'm going to get back to that in just a second. I was uh, doing some study the other day on the condition of Christianity in America today. And Satan is, uh, is wise in his doings. I'm not going to give him any credit more than I have to because we hate him. He, he is our ultimate enemy. My friend today, your enemy is not another Christian. 
your friend is your enemy is not another Christian. And the fact of the matter is really when it's all said none, your enemy is not even the world. It's Satan himself. It's the devil. Ephesians 6 teaches us that doctrinally for the church. It's important for us to note that. Don't forget that, okay? But they said that one of the big problems in Christianity today is the concept of victimhood. We are training the mentality or the concept of victimhood. All right, now stay with me now. Now, let me give you a disclaimer. There are some things that happen in people's past that do not apply to what I'm about to say right now. There's certain levels of abuse, sexual abuse, perverted, demented things that happen to young children, things like that. That is not what I'm talking about when I'm going to explain this victimhood mentality to you. That's a totally separate category, totally separate issue. This human trafficking issue, which we have an announcement about it afterwards, is wicked as hell. And, and the church needs to stand up against it. And the church needs to be more aggressive than it ever has been in protecting our children. Protecting our children. Your pastor will fight for the children of this church. I will protect the children of this church. That is a huge priority in my life. And it's, it's very necessary. But having said that, though, I think you all will understand where I'm going with this concept of victimhood. This is a true story that took place. They took five or six individuals. I think some of them were women and some of them were men. And they sat them in, in a makeup room and they disfigured their faces. It's amazing what makeup artists can do. You say, can you really do that? Look at the Grinch that stole Christmas, right? I mean, what they did to that guy, you know, that, that Jim Carrey. I mean, amazing, right? But they took five or six characters, sat them before them, or five or six people, and disfigured their faces, like put scars on their face, made them look uh, uh, not appealing to the eye, all right? They let them look in the mirror. All these people looked in the mirror and saw how they looked. Then they got ready to go into a meeting. Each one of them had individual meetings with people. They were being interviewed. They were being questioned. People were just asking them questions about their life and, and their experiences and maybe their educational backgrounds. And before they went into that meeting, they said, hey, hey, we want to make sure we touch you up one more time. They pulled them into a separate room, and they acted like they were touching up their makeup. Don't miss this now. What they actually did was remove all of the disfigurement so that now their face was completely normal. They went into those rooms, all five or six people that went through this experiment, every one of them went through, went through, went through, they came out, and then they were interviewed as a result of the experiment, and all of them said, as soon as I went in, I felt like they were judging me. As soon as I went in, they were hating on me. As soon as I went in, I didn't feel like I was accepted. And the fact of the matter is, they finally revealed to them that you did not have a disfigured face when you went in. That last touch-up, they actually removed all of that from you, but they had already predetermined in their minds that because they were disfigured by these makeup artists, that anybody that saw them was going to reject them. Because of what they thought about in their before, it affected their before. What their concept of before was drastically impacted their before. By the way, let me, let me just say this as, as to young parents today. Be careful not to teach your children the, the concept of victimhood. My father, 83 years old, went to heaven this past May. He understands victimhood. He knows what it's like to grow up as a deaf man in this world, and, and yet he never, ever complained about that. He, he, he was abused because of his sign language. He wasn't allowed to learn like he should have. He graduated high school with second grade reading level. But he never said, I'm going to sit around and mope and cry and whine because that's just the way life was. He picked up himself, he pulled up his bootstraps, and he went out and he lived the American dream. 
He bought a dictionary. He studied it. He graduated from high school. He graduated from college. He raised a family. He lived the American dream. And you saw that man sitting in that pew last year at 83 years old, still faithful to church, still loving his family, still serving God, because he said, I am not going to allow this, this before to affect what's before me. You see, here's the good news today, my friend. Jesus is in your before. Jesus Christ is in your before. So many people want to talk about the future. And, and listen, I, I tell you what, we can sit around and talk about the future all we want. We can talk about the future of the economy. We can talk about the future of politics. We can talk about the future of our country. But let me tell you something right now. Nothing excites me more than to know this. Jesus is in my future. Jesus is in my future. If Jesus is in my future, it don't matter what's in my past. Praise God. That which is set before me is a blessing to me now that I can get excited about. Think about it. The dinner table. My wife makes a delicious supper for our family. And she calls me to the table. And I come and sit at the table. And I sit and I look at what is set. Ready for this? Before me. There's usually a protein. There's usually a vegetable. And then there's usually a salad. And I see that is set before me. And then I engage in that meal, and I appreciate the blessing it is. I'm saying to you today, church, my friend, the book, this Bible, Jesus, this concept, is teaching us today that while the devil wants you to consistently be obsessed with that before, God says, I have something before you. I have something before you. So number one, statement number one is very simple. It's the same exact statement as statement number two. Real quickly, watch this. What is before? What is before? What is before? What's your before? John 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees was. He used to be a man of the Pharisees. His name was Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews until, until, hallelujah, come on, help me now, until what? Until he met Jesus. When he met Jesus, all of a sudden he realized, hey, you can call me ruler of the Jews, you can call me a leader of the Pharisees all you want, but I've met the Messiah, and he told me you must be born again. He told me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank God that Nicodemus learned that, that now Jesus is my before. He's what's before me. He's in front of me. He's my everything. He is my future. He is my present. He is my life. Wow, think about it. Jesus is before you today, church. The woman at the well, John chapter 4, verse 7, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, as she had done so many other times. She came to get water. She needed physical water. She was thirsty. She needed it to survive. But when she came to the well that day, somebody was setting before her. Somebody was sitting at the well. Somebody was there to change her mindset and to change her thoughts from that which was before to that which was before. It's interesting that in this context, Jesus asks her to go get her husband. Why? Because Jesus wanted her to realize that she was still obsessed with the before. Everything back there. Everything in my before and my before and my before. And Jesus makes such an impact in her life that he didn't just change her before. He changed the whole land of Samaria's before because Jesus Christ getting in our before is a game-changing, eternity-changing, life-changing experience today, my friend. I was fascinated to read about the woman at the well. I did not know the rest of the story, if you will. The woman at the well, we never know her name, but history tells us that she ended up going on and becoming a great Christian. She was named, Brother Andy, she was named with the apostles. 
That's an old phrase that means that when they thought about the apostles, they thought about her. When the apostles came in, they said, hey, don't forget about this lady. And it's interesting that she finally met her Savior again when she was thrown headfirst into a well by Emperor Nero. She met Jesus at a well, thirsting for the living water. And she ended up getting thrown into a well many years later as a martyr for Christ, having been satisfied by the water. Her before changed her before. Listen to me, you know what church planning conference is all about, Brother Street, Brother Coons? Men that went, you know what it is? We're trying to encourage these preachers to go all over this country. You know what Seed Project's all about, Mrs. Carlisle? You know what the Missions Conference coming up and Mission Jubilee coming up in March is all about? We're trying to get these people and encourage them to go out and change people's befores. You see, all of us have two befores today. All right, so that's number one. What's before? Nicodemus was, was a man of the Pharisees. Uh, there cometh a woman. She continued to come. Now, watch this. Number two, what's before? Same, t- same, same statement. Statement number one is what's before. What is before? Statement number two, what is before? What's before? Here, here's what's before. You see, verse one starts with this statement. There was a man of the Pharisees in John 3. There was a man of the Pharisees. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. But guess what is in his before? Because now you start to journey down John chapter 3. Oh, verse 1 is led by verse 2, then verse 3, then verse 4. And guess where it ends up going to? It ends up going to this beautiful verse, John 3, 16, where God says, let me give you an incredible before because my son's about to die on the cross and shed his blood and live again three days later that you might be born again, that you might be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Wow, what a blessing. Wow, what a promise. Wow, what joy. That's what Nicodemus heard in his new before. You know what the woman at the well heard? You know what she heard? I'm glad you asked. Look at John 4 with me real quickly. Look at verse number 13. The Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto her, John 4 verse 13, come on, get with me there now. Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water, That's the water from John 4, 7 that she cometh to again and again and again in all her befores, in all her failures, in all her struggles, in all her life, in all her battles, in her past, in all the things that kept her down, all those things. All of a sudden now, he says, guess what? I've got something to say to you. You're not going to have to thirst again. Verse 14, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall, future tense. Hey, what is he saying? It's in your new before that I shall give him, shall be in him, uh, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him, a well of water spring up into everlasting life. Our befores should not rob us of our befores. I said our befores should not rob us of our befores. What is before you is more important than what is behind you. And let me say this actually better. Who is before you? Come on now. Who is before you is more important than who is behind you or before you. You see, the devil loves to keep you in that past. The devil loves to keep you in that before. Hey, Nicodemus, you're crazy. You're a Pharisee. You have money. You have gravitas. You have clout. You have influence. You're a ruler of the Jews. You're somebody. I mean, people bow at you when you walk by. And boy, he heard that all his life. Nicodemus was a powerful, influential man. Came from the right lineage. Came from the right family. Came from the right cloth, if you will. But then all of a sudden, he met Jesus, and he had a new before. The woman at the well, completely opposite. Her before was this. You're no good. You're a half-breed. 
You're not, you're not of any use to society. Look at your life. Look at your pack, background. Look at your past. And then all of a sudden she meets Jesus. Isn't it amazing that two of the most incredible stories in the book of John are back to back. One full-blooded Jew, one Pharisee, to a woman at the well. What's the point? What's the consistent thing? Jesus was there before. Hallelujah. What a blessing. What a blessing. Jesus is the difference. Stay with me now. Let's go on a quick little journey through the book of John. John 3, before religion, before Jesus saves Nicodemus. John 4, watch this. Before, watch me so you can see the hand motions. Before, being, before you were thirsty, before Jesus satisfied. John 5, before I was laying by the pool, before I'm walking with Jesus. Well, I'm going to say that one again. Before I was laying by a pool, but before I'm walking out that temple with, or out that pool with Jesus. I will say that one more time. Boy, it's been a little while since I've done this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a cart right there. Hallelujah. Woo. Before I was laying by the poolside all my life and I had no man to push me in. But before I'm walking with Jesus. Before I had a sack lunch. Before me and Jesus are feeding the multitudes. Before I'm an adulteress and I'm about to die. But before Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Before, before there was death. I'm sorry, before I was blind and I could not see. But before I see Jesus clearly now. In John chapter 11, before there was death and there was tears and there was sorrow. But before you hear he is the resurrection and the life. And before John chapter 21, before I denied him three times, before I failed him three times, before I'm going to write the Bible, I'm going to see 3,000 souls get saved in the book of Acts. Why? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Woo! He's in my before. He's in my before. Statement number three, and I'm done. It's very simple. Statement number one is what is before? Statement number two is what is before? Statement number three, and I'm done. Trade, trade your befores. Trade your befores. Go to 2 Corinthians 5 real quick, and I'm done. Y'all doing okay? What a blessing, man. What a blessing. What a blessing. Before I met Jesus. Can I just say, there's been some befores in my life that were just... Before I married, boy, my life, got, my life got better when I got married. Being a single man before wasn't as fun. Before I was a dad, I slept all night. Before I had children, oh my, it changed my life. Before, think about the beauty of that concept of before and before. And how Jesus is a difference. Now watch this. Let's make sense now when you diagram three phrases in the book of Revelation. Watch this. I am the beginning and the end. I am. That's that event of the beginning and the end. I am the alpha and omega. I am the first and the last. I should have been doing it this way because you guys are looking left and right. I am the alpha and omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. The constant is I am. Jesus. Watch this now and I'm done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become. You go, well, preacher, I've been saved for 50 years. Great. But the fact that you're still alive means Jesus still has something before you. Because not everything in this before is bad. But even whether it's good or bad back there, if we consistently live in that before, we're missing out on what's before. When I drove to church today, and my daughter and I drove and picked up these bus kids, I learned something once again as I was getting ready to preach this message. The windshield is a whole lot bigger than the rearview mirror. They're all made out of glass, different kinds of glass. But if I drive the whole way looking in the rearview mirrors, I ain't going very far. But when I stay aware of that which is behind me, I can be aware of it. I can learn from it. I can benefit from it. I can glean from it. In fact, Paul reminds us of his before. But he also told us that he lives for his before. Man, I'm ashamed of some of my befores, but I'm living before. I mean, the Bible's full of people who had some things in their befores. But the reason that they made a difference in this world is because they knew that God was still before. I got news for you today, Bible Baptist Church, on this Sunday here, January 2024. He's before. He's before. He's before. Hallelujah to God. He's before. He's before. And that's why today I'm excited about what is set before. Heads about eyes are closed. Thanks for listening so well today.
Blessed be your glory. 